Now, the best thing that could happen to a person is that he or she could get a tune like that stuck in his or her head. Because it's the song that we keep in our heart that either liberates us or keeps us drawn to the objects of the senses in the material world. Who would have thought that music is so important in rhythm? And it's, it's not just any song, just like Carl Sagan once said, when walking through a library and he pointed to a large section of the library and he said, if you read a book a month, this is how many books you could finish in one lifetime. And then when he got to the end of the long row, he said, but it's not the books themselves, it's the kind of books that you read, not the volume of books that you read that counts. So in the process of distilling the essence of all spiritual practices, the great saints have come down to a single song that will liberate you from the material world. It's good, right? Come on. Give us a little love on that one. Yeah, yeah. But that's what you need is a song Who's going to argue with that? So you'd have to test out which songs do what for you. Therefore, the ancient literatures written millions of years ago called the Upanishads say, Anyarevahur sambhavad, anyarahura sambhavad, iti shushumadhiranam yenastad vichichakshude. There are very high thinkers who are so wise that they've been able to contemplate the world without getting attached to it for the good of others. And they came up with a simple formula, and that is when you listen to a transcendental song, there's a different result from listening to a material song. That's the end of the equation. Do you like it? Yes. Yeah, Oakham's razor, it's simple. When something's very simple, it's usually the, the uh, most perfect answer to the question. And so it comes down to this simple song of chanting Hare Krishna. It's a song from the spiritual world. And if you can hear that song, practice it, and keep it in your environment, especially in your internal environment, in your heart and your mind, then you'll notice a, a phenomena that Krishna mentions himself in the Bhagavad Gita. And he describes how if you continuously practice uh, hearing spiritual sound vibration and giving it to other people, then it'll be like a plane going down the runway, going faster and faster, and then gradually it has liftoff, and it can go above the clouds and up into the sunshine. So in the Bhagavad Gita, he mentions this, that if you uh, don't stop, even in the beginning time when you may not feel that you're flying above the ground, and you're not yet, but still get up speed, and then gradually you'll lift off, and you'll be able to rise above the troublesome energies, the lower energies of the material world. So that's a good game plan for one's life. We have, uh, well, we don't know how much runway we have actually, right? It's not really certain. So better to take advantage of whatever, whatever runway we have now to get a little lift off. Otherwise, we end up in the same place again and again. So tonight, uh, before I speak too much more, uh, I offer my respects to my spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, and to all of you who are travelers on the spiritual path. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. So tonight, I'll just mention a few principles that you can take home in your pocket, which is, uh, has to do with your re receptivity quotient. So. We are actually channels, all of us. When you get a human body, it's meant to be a channel that takes you to the fifth dimension, beyond the, the, the dualities of the material world. So if you were wondering why you were walking around the earth and why you had this body, fingers, toes, a brain, a few more items thrown in, then it's because it's, it's actually a channel. And that channel can be opened up, and the process of spiritual practice is meant to open up that channel so you can be in direct contact with uh, the fifth dimension, which is beyond the uh, material world and the four dimensions that we know of here.
And so <clears throat> there are ways in which we can make ourselves more open channels to the higher elements, uh, to, the, to the spiritual world, and actually be able to channel it. So <clears throat> the first uh, law of receptivity is called akinchana. Everyone please say akinchana. So kinchana, not akinchana, but kinchana. You said it right. I'm just breaking the word down. Kinchana means something. And when you put an A in front of a word in Sanskrit, it very often negates the meaning. So if I say kinchana means something, what does akinchana mean? Not something. <laughs> so there's a great saint, a woman, uh, who's one of the great teachers of bhakti. Her name was Queen Kunti. And she advised those who are sincere travelers on the path in order to increase their receptivity quotient and be able to channel the spiritual world and appreciate it wherever they are, even here in Long Beach, or for instance, you could be in Rancho Cucamonga, and you could still channel from there. And so it's the principle called akinshana, and it's an attitude or a feeling or an actual uh, coming to grips with reality. And, and that is that I don't have anything. So the opposite of that is to consider that I have things, I have something. When you have something, you have something to lose. That's a truism that I think came in a song once. And the idea of a kinshina is reality because whatever we may think we have right now is just on loan. And the person who, who's akinshana considers that whatever I see around me, including my body or my mind, everything that's been bequeathed to me as I took birth in this world, is not mine. So I don't have anything. And such a person sees the whole world and everything in it as paraphernalia to be engaged in divine service. And this feeling of a kinshana, that I don't have anything, is synonymous with the Ayurvedic. Anybody here know about Ayurveda? Three people? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's, it's a, 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 a means the, your span of life. It's a, um, a system through which body, mind, and spirit can be balanced in this world so that you can actually have a healthy lifestyle and live out your natural life in this world without too much trouble. And so the, um, the process of Ayurveda talks about appetite. You can know that you're healthy when you're hungry because when the fire of digestion is burning very strong, then you can uh, take in nutrients and they'll be distributed throughout the body uh, efficiently. Everything goes to the right place and you'll feel healthy. Anybody here hungry? Good. <laughs> so you've brought it up, now you probably think about that. It's good to be hungry and you might notice that when you're not hungry or you can't get an appetite going, then the world looks rather bleak. Have you ever noticed that? When you have an appetite, everything looks good. Uh, and so uh, when we are akinshana, when we have this sense that I don't have anything, there's a, no sense of entitlement that things belong to me. Everything's given to me as a gift that I can use in divine service. And this akinshana principle can be cultivated. Why can it be cultivated? Because it's true. It means it's reality. There, there is, it isn't a, a, a mental adjustment, so to speak, or it isn't a, a mental construct. It's actually true. If you think about it even just for about 30 seconds, you'll realize that whatever you have now in your possession, if you have a hat, anybody have a hat? Yeah, you won't be able to keep it forever. I hate to break it to you, but you know, if you have a jacket, and if you have shoes, they might already be gone from the front lobby. <laughs> Hare Krishna. So, <laughs> whatever we have now, you can count it out, actually. Uh, on your fingers and toes, it's going to be gone. 
and most of it unceremoniously uh, taken away. So uh, the Akinshana principle, uh, the person becomes aware that whatever I have, including my own body, my eyelashes, my, uh, my toes, fingers, everything, this is uh, just a, a gift that's been given to me for a while to use in divine service. So if you think like that, you're a kinshina, and this mood of a kinshina opens you up to the, the fifth dimension. And you can start channeling the spiritual world. You're hungry enough. So you're not holding on to things in this world in such a way that it blocks your vision of the spiritual world. Because as Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, there's a, there's a syndrome that you may be familiar with. He's, he says, Jayato vishayam pumsam sangas teshupajayate, sangat sanjayate kama, kama krodha vijayate. And here he's describing those who are not a kinshina, and they look at the world in such a way that this is mine, that's mine, I'd like to have that, and I want to keep it and control it. And when they contemplate, this means jayatam, or a kind of meditation of looking at the world, and then I think I can own and control this, then what happens is you have to own it. It becomes part of you, and then it's uh, something you carry around always. And when it's connected, when that feeling is connected to the material energy, then it weights us down. We're carrying a whole bag full, or maybe a trailer, or maybe even have some of those extra storage lockers that you can get here in Long Beach, where you put all your extra stuff. And that keeps expanding life after life until I have such extensive connection to the material world that I feel like I'm a resident here and that I'll never leave and that I'm always connected to it. So, Queen uh, Kunti, the great saint I mentioned, said, Janmai Shraya Shuta Shribir Edamana Madakuman Naiva Yadvidatumbai Tomakinshana Gocharam. She said, if you get attached to thinking that you're something, that you're Kinshana, and she mentions Janma, because my birth of where I'm born, therefore I. I'm very special. Janmai, Shvarya, Shruta. Aishvarya means I have some bling, and I think I'm really proud of it. Aishvarya, Shruta, I have learning. I'm smarter than the average bear. Uh, that's from Yogi Bear. You guys don't know that. Shruta, uh, Shribir. Then uh, their beauty. Uh, I, I'm attached to, to my good looks. Uh, she says all these things, this feeling that I am something, I'm entitled, I have something, that she said that blocks your ability to sincerely open your heart and channel, uh, open your heart to the, the spiritual world and to Krishna, who's uh, manifesting the spiritual world and who's also within our hearts. So that's the first principle, and I have a few more, but before I go on to them, just to see how everything's going right now. I'll just take a few reflections, if you wouldn't mind. Anything that you heard so far, if there's a principle, sentence, or a concept that, you're, that, you, that uh, resonated with you, you can just reflect it back, and you'll notice how it expands the energy. Thank you, yes. Uh, one, one thing that you said was that, that these, these bodies are gifts, these for devotional service, but we also learned that these bodies are created from our past karma, and so I, I kind of have a pessimistic way of looking at things and wanting to see this more of like, that this body is more of a curse, and so I was wondering if you could maybe help me transform how to like actually accept that, that this is actually a blessing, like how do you reconcile that, the karma? Yeah, it's a, it is a conundrum, isn't it? It's a good question. There's a dual purpose to the world. Krishna tries to cover everybody in the creation. And some people want to have a channel to the material world. So just like uh, in my uh, studio back in uh, Northern California, I have an air conditioner heater. It comes from Japan. I think it's a Fujitsu. Highly recommend it. Not getting paid for that, by the way. Uh, Fujitsu. 
has a little remote control and you can hit the button and it, you say, I want it to be colder and it'll get cold and then hit it and it'll get hotter. And it's the same machine, you know, hot, cold, dual purpose. The material world's like that, it's dual purpose. So those who want to seek uh, the blessings of the material world and try to become more ensconced in matter can have the facility to do so. So we have uh, all the equipment that we, can, that we need to do that with. And then if you want to uh, extricate yourself from the material entanglement, then you can do that also. And Krishna will provide the energy for either one of them because really he's fulfilling our desires through the material nature. According to what we want, he responds accordingly and gives us that facility. So there are a lot of optimistic statements in the, for instance, Srimad Bhagavatam, the quintessential teaching on bhakti yoga, which describe the material body in ways that I think you really like. For instance, he says, Labham sadulabhidam bahusambhavante manushyamartadamanityam apihadhira. So this uh, verse comes from a saint who was talking about the opportunity that we have when we get the body. So he says, Labham sudulabham, which means that the thing you've gotten now that you've gained is very rare. It's a great opportunity, he's saying. Labham sudulabham idam bahusambhavante. And you get it, the human form especially, after many, many other kinds of births in the material world. And manushyam artanam anityam apihadira. It's, uh, it is, you can attain your highest um, value through the human body, especially. And uh, even though it's temporary, which is a neat trick. If you can taste something that's temporary, it's going to melt, it's going to go away very soon. And before it does, you can transfer it into something that's everlasting and that you get uh, everlasting benefit from. That's a neat trick, right? Everyone who thinks that's a neat trick, say Hari Bol. So that's how it says you have this temporary body, you can use it in either way, you have freedom. Krishna sets up the world in such a, a wonderful way. Everyone has freedom to, do, to move whichever way they wish. So you can transfer it. Also, one more verse which describes the human body as a boat. Nridehaṁ adyam sulabham sadulabham plavam sukalpam gurakarnadharam mayanakulyena nabhasvataritam So nridehaṁ means the human body. Nridehaṁ adyam sulabham sadulabham Again, it says, different verse, but it's saying it's very rare that you got this. And then plavam sukalpam gurakarnadharam It's a boat. And what do you need on a boat to cross the ocean? You need uh, wind, sailboat, and you also need a captain, otherwise you'll sink. And if you have favorable breezes for this boat and a captain to help you show which way to go, then you can cross over the ocean material existence. So you can have it either way. Hare Krishna. My obeisances. So, yeah, we're talking about uh, receptivity quotient and how the human body is a channel. And when we apply certain principles, then we become more receptive to the fifth dimension. Uh, beyond this, uh, the, the dimensions of the material world, we can open that channel and we can perceive the spiritual world. It will, ex it will extend to us. And... Uh, Prabhu was asking about how uh, it seems as if we become overburdened by taking on one body after another and then the, the samskars and the impressions we have in our minds then impel us to work in certain ways in this world and it almost seems as if we're helpless and in some ways we are. However, one at any time can come to knowledge. You need two things, knowledge and practice. Knowledge and practice, everyone say. Knowledge and practice. So if anyone says to you, my life's all messed up, what should I do? You say, you need two things. Knowledge and practice. You need knowledge and practice. So with knowledge and practice, then you can rise above your limitations. And there are significant limitations to rise above. Not to make light of the onerous nature of the mind. Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita says that 
it is troublesome, it is um, determined, it's very strong, it's chancho, or rather Arjuna says, and it can be a friend or an enemy. So we can flip it through knowledge and practice, so that's the bhakti yoga system. You're on it. And I can see you're doing well from your smile. Okay, thank you. And let's see if there's a couple more. Yes? Thank you for your time. Um, you know, before I got into Christian consciousness, the way I actually got into Christian consciousness was, I was like, oh, you know, there's the fifth dimension. Duality is delusion. Once you're past that, then the material world is not this. Um, or whatever. Um, so anyway, I think it's very nectar that I haven't heard anyone describe the fifth dimension in Christian consciousness yet. And I was like, and it never really, I didn't think it correlated at all. So you just speaking about it is pretty amazing to me. I just wanted to share that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, there, there's so much, even in the material realm, that we can't perceive with our present senses. There's a spectrum of sound much of which we can't hear, the spectrum of light, much of which we can't see. We're quite limited, actually. And therefore, the approach through which one tries to force oneself into seeing uh, with um, greater depth in all the dimensions of this world is uh, ultimately not successful. The senses have their limitations. However, even as we are infinitesimal beings and we're limited in our strength, we are parts of the infinite. And the direction given in the Bhakti Yoga scriptures is a Tashri Krishnamadi Nabaved Grayamindriye Seva Mukihi Jivado Swayameva Spratyada, which means that there's um, a way that we can make ourselves receptive in such a way that the, the infinite will want to reveal himself to us. In fact, um, the infinite, Krishna, is ever willing to reveal himself to us. We just have to make ourselves receptive and we can become aware of him. And the, the place it starts is the practice of bhakti yoga that begins with the tongue. In fact, that's what it says in the verse I just quoted. Adao means in the beginning, jihwa means the tongue, and seva means service. So you can use your tongue in service and then the Supreme will want to reveal himself to you. Anyway, I, I took your appreciation and then I turned it into something else, but I appreciate your enthusiasm. I've noticed it, actually. Um, okay, one more and then I'll bring the next uh, points. Yes? I appreciate how you connected the, um, like the things in our life being blockages to that channel because it made me think how the more things we have, the more worried we get, the more preoccupied we feel, and we're not receptive to being that channel. It's like leaving a valuable in your car, just thinking about it. Sure. And of course, it's not things in and of themselves that are burdensome. It's my attachment to things. And of course, we can even be attached to things, but here's, here's the, the, the switch that one can flip and then live amongst numerous things or as many things as you wish and you won't become burdened by them or entangled. Should I tell you about the switch? Yes. You want to flip it if I tell you? Yes. You're going to do it, right? Yes. Okay, so the whole world, the whole universe is paraphernalia to be used in divine service. That includes everything. And when I see it as engageable, if that's a word, in service to the divine, I figure out a way, how can I use this in service to the divine, then it no longer becomes a burden. And I'll prove it from a verse from the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna himself says, Brahman yadaya karmani sangam tyakva karotiya lipitena sapapena padma patram ivambasa. And he gives this comparison to a lotus flower that is called padmaja. It grows out of the mud. It grows up to the top of the pond. And even though it's in mud and in water, it's never touched by the mud or the water, it's, uh, it's, it's impervious to water, actually. If you can look at lotus flowers, take a little time, take a little time off from work, tell them I gotta go see some lotus flowers. <laughs> and you sit there and you look at them, you'll notice, well, that's really true. 
It's a good thing to do too, take a field trip like that, because if Krishna gives an analogy in the Bhagavad Gita, you know it's true and you know it's going to be good. So if you go and you sit with the lotus and you just watch it, which I did in Osaka, Japan, there's a bio, uh, botanical garden and they have many varieties of lotuses that bloom in the summer. And so I went there and I, I spent a little time with each one of them actually. And I, I thought of this analogy and I thought, yeah, the lotus lives in the water, it's never touched. Why is it never, why, how does it compare to us? How can we become like lotuses where the water comes onto the leaf but it just balls up and rolls off. It's, it, it's never absorbed, it never stays long. He says, if you see the world as paraphernalia to be engaged in service. And therefore, you're not claiming it for yourself. And I'll give an example of a bank teller. Bank tellers count a lot of money every day, but they never think that this is my money. Now, the moment the thought comes into a bank teller's mind, what if I just, you know, I need a Slurpee. Do they still have those? They had them when I was a kid. Okay, so I need a Slurpee. They were a dollar back then, maybe 50 cents, I don't know. Maybe they're $20 now. But I'd like to have a Slurpee. And they think, I'll take $1 off the stack. It's a million dollars and one million and one dollars. I take $1 off the stack. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. The principle's wrong. You just took somebody else's money and you're fired because now there's cameras and they saw that you took it. <laughs> And they have the receipt for your Slurpee on your <laughs> Apple Pay or whatever it is. And you're busted. So uh, our intention becomes known to the whole universe. It's, it's like that. And so when my intention is that I'm using this in service, not for me, I'm using it for the Supreme, I'm using it for Krishna in divine service, then I don't become implicated in it. No tax for anything, no burden on anything. And I'm simply joyful because I have something to do that actually uh, engages my senses in a beautiful way. And the world responds to me. Everyone thinks, wow, that's nice what you're doing. You're doing it for others? In fact, I showed a video of a baseball game on one of my um, uh, shows that I do on, on Zoom to corporates. And there was a, a ball that was hit foul. You all know about baseball? Yes. Okay, good. Usually I'm around cricket crowds, so. This came from England, I was telling some people, eh, not so much. So, baseball, all right. So, ball gets hit, goes, it goes a little foul, and uh, the third baseman trots down, you know, he's earning $4 million a year, so he feels pretty good about it. He picks up the ball, and he, he walks over to a kid in the stands, he hears the ball. And then the kid just spontaneously, for some reason, he turns around and he hands it to another kid, unrelated, they're not friends or anything. He just hands it to another kid behind him. And it got on the jumbotron and then it was live on television and that blew up. So they, the announcer said, have you ever seen anything like that, Larry? I've never seen anything like that, Tom. <laughs> he just gave away the ball from the third baseman who earns $4 million a year. And so the, the, the announcer, they sent one of the announcers, the auxiliary announcers, down to sit with the kids. Like, okay, kid, what were you thinking? And when you handed off that ball to that person behind you, he's like, I don't know, I just thought it was a good idea to give it away, you know, to do something nice. And the kid behind, uh, how was she feeling? He's like, wow, he gave me the ball. And it turned into an international event. And if you look at the YouTube of it, there's like 5.6 million views of the kid giving away a ball. That's the principle, that when you uh, spontaneously give, then there's an energy flow that opens up for you in the world. It's quite different. It's the opposite of feeling entitled, that this is mine, I'm going to keep it. You can't keep it. You can't keep it anyway. And which leads to the doctrine of those who are ready for some uh, you know, black belt spiritual practice. Are you ready? Yes. Say yes. And that's called preemptive giving. You realize that everything in the universe or anything that was, is within your purview that you think you own is going to be unceremoniously taken from you and therefore you calculate, let me give it away to a good cause before it's taken. And if you do that, then you get the same kind of credit plus 
much more as that kid did when he gave away the ball. Not that you're interested in that, but that's just what happens by nature. And if you don't give it away before it's unceremoniously taken to, from you, what do you get? Criticized. You get what? Criticized. You get criticized. You're criticizable. And you get tears. And it's like, I lost my thing. It's like you should have given it away when you thought about it. And so those who live in this realm where they're seeing the world as paraphernalia to be used in the ser divine service to the Supreme, they're thinking all the time, how fast can I engage this in service? And they never get touched by the material world. And they may be riding around in cars, and nice cars even, or whatever uh, you know, maybe They may be handing, handling millions of dollars, but they never think for a second, this is mine. Because the second they think like that, they, they feel the, the dark energy coming back in again into their lives. This is the secret of life. It's a s switch that you can flip at any time. So you ready? Yes. Okay, it's right in the back of your head. <laughs> Put your hand back there. When I say three, we'll flip it. One, two, three, flip. flip. Nothing is mine. It's all paraphernalia to be used in this service. From now on, okay? We're in, right? All of us. Okay. So I have a couple more principles I'm going to share of the receptivity quotient. The second one is the edge principle. Edge principle says that we grow when we're outside of our comfort zone. We, we uh, become eligible for the, the truth of the universe and ourself, uh, not in our comfort zone, but outside. This is a principle called yagya. Everyone say yagya. Yeah. So yagya, this principle means that I'm prepared to get outside my comfort zone and to make some sacrifice. And all learning takes place in that realm when I put myself out in this spirit of service and I think, let me do something that uh, is not self-serving and that is not just for me. And also I take a little trouble to do it for others. And one of the great teachers of bhakti, Shrikadeva Goswami, in the Srimad Bhagavatam says that when you start going outside of your comfort zone to do service for others, that this is the highest kind of service that you can do. This, this was uttered by a great uh, saint named Shukadeva Goswami, and he was noting that Lord Shiva, anybody know Lord Shiva? Yes. Had gone out of his way to help others by none other than drinking an ocean of poison. And he wanted to save others by swallowing it. He kept it in his throat, his throat turned blue. He's famous for it, making a sacrifice, going outside his comfort zone, got permission from his wife. She said, go for it. He drank it. And then he became famous, and Shukadeva Goswami, seeing this, said, there's no better service than this, parama aradhanam. It's the best kind of service that you can do, is when you go outside your comfort zone to give to others Krishna consciousness. And we'll find that all kinds of learning and advancement in life begins or continues when we, we go into this uh, edge realm, be in your edge. I got a couple more. You want to hear them? Yes. Okay. Next one is... Failure. Failure is the pillar to success. So in the practice of spiritual life, we may feel inadequate. Yes or yes? Yes. And as we move forward, we may feel that, okay, I'm the worst person at this. I'll never make any advancement. And I make so many mistakes. Mistakes, missteps may not be detrimental. They may become the pillars to success. Don't be afraid to move forward because... The, the process of uh, spiritual life, if we're sincere and we try to move forward, then uh, even if we make mistakes, they'll be rectified from within because Krishna, the Supreme, lives in our heart. He knows our intention. And even if we do something in a substandard way, he makes up for it. He helps us to move forward. And we always uh, become stronger when we go to our edge, we move forward in the process of devotional service, and then if we make a mistake, then we'll learn from it and we'll become stronger. I'm going to keep moving forward and take a few reflections from all of them. And uh, the next one is the appreciation principle. 
which says that whatever you appreciate, appreciates. And, and especially forbidden in the practice of spiritual life is to become envious of others. And the reason is because it's ugly. And the other reason is because when we become envious of what others have, then we, we block any of the absorption of the good qualities that they have. We can't take them within ourselves. Voltaire once said that when you appreciate the good qualities in others, they become yours. You actually imbibe them. Imbibe is a word that we should to drink. You actually drink it. So when you see somebody that's better than you and has qualities better than you, then how should you feel? Well, I feel really bad. I wish that person would fall from his bicycle and, and not be able to, to, uh, to ride anymore. Uh, no, we f if we feel uh, appreciative, if we can learn these principles of appreciation, in fact, it's, it's such a strong principle, I recommend next time that you're on an international flight and they hand you a disembarkation card and you look on it and there's a little uh, uh, box there that says occupation. Have you ever had that? Does anybody else have trouble with that? I always sit there for about an hour thinking, like, who, what do I do? <laughs> what should I put? So I recommend, <laughs> I recommend put appreciator because if that's your occupation. You're going to take in all the spiritual truths of the universe, all the good qualities of other people, and you're also going to be very welcome in the country. You go up there and they say, like, Okay, what's your occupation? You're an appreciator? Like, what do you do? It's like, well, I'm appreciating how you're conducting your business right now. I'm like, all right, you go ahead. You just go right in and enjoy the country. <laughs> Actually, by nature, by nature, we're appreciators because the supreme, Eko Bahusham, expands himself into unlimited entities. Why? So he can be appreciated by them. What's the good of being the supreme if there aren't those who can appreciate you? So, if we take that role of appreciators, and it's good work if you can get it, and you go around appreciating uh, the circumstances and the good qualities in other people, even the bad qualities, you can appreciate them in the light of seeing what, what happens when somebody goes outside the boundaries of good sense and following the directives that are given from the uh, higher thinkers in the universe. Then if you, you're able to appreciate that, then you're able to imbibe and take in the spiritual energies of the world and become improved in your life. And I have one last one, I think. And that is the integrity principle. I was thinking about it over uh, this pandemic, which seems to be going on and on. I have plenty more time to think. Uh, about uh, what is real strength and wealth in life? And I considered that integrity puts me in resonance with the spiritual energy because, and the way I think about it is, am I the same behind closed doors as I am when I'm in front of others? If I'm true to myself and I hold integrity as the most important and I practice being truthful as much as possible, I'll start to notice that I resonate with the voice within my heart which is giving me good direction and it happens to be Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is in the heart of everyone, and helps to direct me uh, because I'm not trying to cheat anybody else and I'm not trying to cheat myself. Did anybody ever tell you that? If you cheat on a test, they say, oh, you're just cheating yourself. And so integrity means that I try to be sincerely um, vulnerable and present myself the way I am. And this is something Krishna mentions in the Srimad Bhagavatam when he says, Sway sway adhikariya nishta saguna parikirtina, parikirtita. It's, it's a good quality if you be yourself, be real, and act from the position you're in now. Don't try to uh, act as uh, in a position to show other people that I'm better than I actually am. Just be yourself, and progress you will call. That was a whirlwind summary of the other principles, but I'd like to see if anybody if they caught on anybody and you want to reflect anything back. Yes. Uh, yeah. Hi. Hi.
just hearing you talk, um, it just continuously surprised me how this, like you and these books are saying the exact same thing, even though it comes from different texts. And, um, you know, they, like, for example, the, the integrity thing that uh, you just said, um, this morning I was hearing a scholar, a Chinese scholar, talk about how you have to be true to both yourself and everyone around you, and he really emphasized, especially when you're alone, and especially in your thoughts. And I wanted to share this because you were talking about how, like, these things are just true. And I think this kind of speaks to that because these books are like 5,000 years old, like 2,000 years old. And all of these different ancient wise people from these different cultures all kind of came to the same conclusion about these like basic tenets and principles of life that we should follow no matter what era we live in. So I thought that was really beautiful. Really well said. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. It reminded me of something Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, pratyakshavagamam dharmyam, that the perfection of any spiritual practice is that you're able to see it for yourself. And part of seeing it for yourself is seeing the universality of the, the principles that one follows. You should be able to get a consistent result and that they pervade, they transcend culture or gender or anything like that because we're spiritual beings behind the external covering of the body. Thank you. Okay, a couple more. Yes? You told us about this idea of preemptive giving, mm. where we understand that eventually we have to lose everything we think we possess. And so if we are generous, we get to a, a kind of special flow or a higher level of connection with other people in the world. God. Yes. And if I tell you an inside story about how I came to that conclusion one day, would you want to hear it? Yes. Okay. So one day I went to India to Govardhan Hill as a place for the last 19 years that I've been, I would stay during October, November for about six weeks. And there we would. Uh, retreat to a, an ashram that not many people come to. It's sort of, well, it's on the beaten path, but not many people come there. It's kind of a, a hidden place that I like to go to, and we do, that is we, myself and others who like to go there at the same time, my, my dear friend Keshav Bharti Maharaj and other people like to spend at least a month there just uh, hearing and chanting and doing the practices of bhakti without any other distraction. And so, um, one of the rituals that I had when I get there to Govardhan is I would go to this sacred pond named Radhakund. First thing, and I, I take a, a bath. You're supposed to take a, a purifying bath there. And so I would uh, take off my external garments and wear this, what's called a gumsha. It's a, uh, a cloth that wraps around the midsection because, um, you know, you don't take off all your clothes, you just use the gumsha. And so I put my clothes on the, uh, the bank of the pond, and then I went in, and it was sublime, and I said some prayers for a while, and when I came out, all my clothes were gone. <laughs> now that's not that unusual in India because there are some people, like monkeys, who like to take stuff, and I asked them, and they said, it wasn't us. And I looked around, and there wasn't anybody else demonstrably hiding anything. And it's just when something's gone in India, it's gone. Uh, there's no lost and found. So I realized that my pad of paper where I keep my ideas, my pen was gone, my whatever money I had was gone out of my pockets. Uh, let's speak of the cloth. And I had walked there, so now I had about another hour and a half to walk back to the ashram in a gumsha. And so as I walked, I pretended that I was like a holy man, a sadhu. It's like, yeah, I meant to do this. <laughs> this is how I roll. <laughs> and when I got back to the ashram thinking about how all my stuff had just been, you know, unceremoniously taken away from me, now normally when I go to this ashram at the end of my stay, I give a donation to the ashram. They're so kind to 
to keep keep us there, let us stay there and feed us and everything like that. So I give a donation at the end. This time I gave, I gave it at the beginning. As soon as I walked in the door, I went to the, the temple president there and I said, here, I'd like to give a donation. He said, you just got here. I said, yeah. It wasn't all my money gone, just enough to uh, give me that stark realization that at any minute it can go. So I had it in my mind that whatever I have, it can go at any minute. Now, I'm giving it now because now I get the credit for it. If I wait till it's unceremoniously taken, then all I get is tears and remorse. So preemptive giving is something that we can ease into and we find that it's actually a lifestyle and then it becomes our whole lifestyle. Okay, one more. Oh yes, one two. Appreciating the point you made about appreciation uh, and how the Supreme expands himself so that he can be appreciated. I feel like as individuals, we also seek appreciation from others, yet our first inclination is to like uh, criticize others. So I was just thinking that's another cool back-of-the-head switch we could flip, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, people don't mind it, as it turns out, if you appreciate them. They really don't mind it. And uh, in fact, uh, I teach a little seminar on how to go out into public and meet perfect strangers and make friends with them for a few seconds and then introduce them to books like the Bhagavad Gita and so forth. And uh, one of the techniques is, it's not really a technique, it's, it's a way to come to you know, a clear vision of reality, is I ask all the participants in the seminar that imagine that every person has a sign around their neck that says, make me feel special. Can you do that for a second? Close your eyes. Now note, meditate that everyone in this room has a sign around his or her neck saying, make me feel special. Have you got it? I, I'm not convinced. Have you got it? Yes. Okay, open your eyes, turn to somebody next to you and make them feel special. Go. Come on, everybody, turn to somebody, make them feel special. <laughs> yeah, you're really good. I like the way you're moving the camera around. All right, that's it. Stop. No more. Stop it, everybody. Don't you hate that when people do that? It's horrible, right? Well, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, He's describing how every soul is special. So special that he says it's charyavad. It's amazing how special each person is. They're connected. They're a part of God. And if you conduct yourself like that, and you see the speciality in everything, and you notice that all energies are, the way that energies are interacting with one another here in this world are miraculous, and you see everything is special and everyone is special, and you treat them like that, then you're living in a different realm, the spiritual realm. Okay, oh, Pr oh, Prabhu, you had a point. I'm so sorry. Um, I appreciate it very much, the points you made about integrity being real strength and also about uh, appreciation, appreciating, and failure being the pillar of success, and the edge principle that you make progress when you work outside of your comfort zone, and preemptive giving, because it's going to be taken away anyway, so you don't just wind up with tears, but you do it ahead of the schedule, you get with the flow. And you also, I came in a little just a little bit late, so you were also speaking about the fifth dimension and principles of reciprocation and other stuff. I didn't quite follow all that, but those are the points that I followed. Um, I was just feeling mesmerized by what a great storyteller you are. And what, a, what an amazing, I'm just the way, even though Ascharya Vat and Swese Karmanitas, all these verses you're quoting in somewhat anachronistic ways that just are flowing from your fingertips, coming out of your mouth like the Ganga, making 
supporting all the points that you want to make and your real out-of-the-box perennial way of thinking that is it's so universal that it sounds like it sounds like Lao Tzu or it sounds like you know philosophy from all over the world and uh, in addition to all that your masterful storytelling ability with the Gumsha at Radha Kun, <laughs> and um, in addition to the, the unlimited verses flowing from your mouth, supporting every point you make, and these really wonderful perennial principles that you're espousing, um, you somehow connect them. You know, the last point that I missed, that I forgot for a moment, was this idea that everything's paraphernalia waiting to be used in divine service. And you managed to, to do the perennial thing and the outreach and really broadening of our tradition in a way that doesn't compromise the integrity of our tradition. And still has this very personalist and speaks of devotion and speaks of service. And, and so there's a, a broadening without a dilution in your presentation where I, I, I feel very strongly that you're still staying true to our tradition and these special things about it. Um, and it takes us beyond like a manifestation idea, which would then, you know, and an abundance mentality, which then leads to enjoyment. And it even takes us above some sort of generic detachment, which maybe leads to a little bit of peace and you get all that, and then you've also got intense love for the Supreme and, and living a life of service at every moment. And all these practical tips, like the people have a sign around their neck that says, make me feel special. I'm just really, just, you're like a past master of, uh, of all subjects. And I, I feel really inspired to be in your presence. Not an extensive rejoinder, but coming from you, who are a master of all subjects, I'm deeply touched and also. I'm noticing how you immediately apply the principles when you hear them, starting with appreciation. You do it in a masterful way. Not that I'm deserving of any of it, but I deeply appreciate it. Hare Krishna. Thank you.